we are finishing up a series this morning that we just got started. I didn't even have a chance to get into it, and we are finishing it up today. And I do wish that I could uh, stop on this series and go for six months, because I assure you, if we wanted to, we could. There is so much here, and we could just set up camp here and stay for a while. Um, but next week, or this Tuesday, I should say, is our annual vision meeting. And as part of that, coming out of that annual vision meeting, we want to just touch on a couple of things. And then we also want to touch on those things that we believe at Praise Assembly, unique to us, maybe, maybe not. Those driving, those values that are a part of who we are and, and help form and direct the decisions that are made. And so we want to get into a series that's about the vision and values of praise. Um, and we want to do that just as we're coming out of the annual vision meeting, which means today is the last day of this series. And so um, you'll just have to just pay attention and dive in with me um, because we're going to be covering a lot because there's a lot to cover and there's a whole bunch that I'm telling you right now we're not even going to get into. So instead, grab your Bibles. And we are going to continue in Inside Out. Inside Out. The idea behind this series is really, I know without a shadow of a doubt, what the Lord's will is for your life in 2019. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 is really very clear about what it is that God wants to see in your life this year. For this is the will of God, your sanctification is what it says in verse 3 of chapter 4. And that is a great word. That is a church word. That is not a word you will find in the local supermarket anywhere. <laughs> You're only going to find it in church. And that's because it's a church word. It means the process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. The process of becoming holy. And I love the words more and more. Because it does not take perfection to please God. And, and I'm really trying to be really careful how I say this. It takes progress. And, and we see that. It is how you ought to work is what it says in verse 1. How you ought to walk to please God just as you are doing. And do so more and more. It is this process of becoming more and more what God has already declared us to be. And so this is what we're talking about uh, as part of this series. God's will for your life is that this year you be made more and more holy. And really quick, I want to just address um, a thought that is really difficult once it gets in your brain to get back out. And that is this idea of holiness and being holy is like talking in hushed tones and every four or five minutes busting out with a verse, a scripture, that that is what holiness is. And that is not the pattern that I see in scripture of holiness. I see something else. I see it is living honestly and, and really and truly from the heart what God has done in us, living that out. And so holiness is something that touches every area of our lives. Have you noticed just how many Christian books there are on how to parent? Have you noticed just how many Christian books there are on how to have a successful marriage. And in comparison to how many how-to books there are, how few how-to verses there are in the Bible about how to parent. 
and how few verses there are in the Bible about how to have a good marriage. Why? Because the word holy touches marriage. And the word holy touches parenting. I have learned more about holiness from my marriage to my wife than anything except for maybe my parenting to my kids. I've learned more about holiness through my relationships with my family. All of that is included in the word holy. A lot of times we get in our head that God wants and designed marriage in order to make you happy. And I suppose that's kind of true. But God is more interested in your marriage making you holy than he is in your marriage making you happy. Okay? And for my parenting, my kids need a holy dad more than they need a dad who has money. And they need a dad who has humility and honesty, someone who lives mourning and worshiping and giving and serving more than they need a dad who does anything else. Holiness touches everyone. It touches the widow whose husband died two decades before and the couple who newly are engaged. It touches the middle schooler in math class and the middle-aged man who was just diagnosed with cancer. Holiness touches each and every one of us. Holiness is about being a boss and being an employee, about being a parent and being a child. It is about being a friend and a grandparent. It is about being... That's why the word holy is so important for us. And if I were to try to describe the word holiness to you, first off, I'd just say the image of Jesus Christ. But if I had to give it something that I just, this is it. This is holiness. If if you were to wrap it up and say, here's a good picture of it, I would say 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 is about as good as it gets. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 says this. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. If you wanted to describe holiness, boy, you cannot get much better than that. And we were talking last week about John chapter 15, verse 3, and I don't have time to re-preach where I've been, and so if you, have, if you missed it, if you were unable to be here, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. But in John chapter 15, we talked about, verse 3, it says very clearly that Jesus said, by my word you were cleansed, that, you, that he spoke and you were made holy. That's, that's what it says in John chapter 15. Verse 3, but what I love, and this is what we talked about last week as well, is that the presence of God, that just by his touch, right, he stands on the ground and the dirt is made holy. But that the God who speaks and it is declared over you and it is how he sees you, does not leave us there. But then that God makes his home inside of us. The holy, omnipotent, perfect God makes his presence in our lives change us. And and just by his presence, just by his touch, he makes us in reality what he has already declared us to be. Okay? That's what we talked about last week. 
This week, we're going to talk about how as he changes us on the inside, that works its way out. That it's an inside-out process. So if you would grab your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, uh, reach over and grab one of the Bibles uh, from the seat right around you because it is important that you have the scriptures today. Um, We believe very strongly that as we press ourselves against scripture and as scripture presses itself against us, that it changes us, okay? And so that's what we're doing this morning. So if you don't have a Bible, grab one of those Bibles. If you uh, don't own a Bible, uh, that Bible's our gift to you, okay? And once you have that Bible, open it up to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to go back to our verse, which I think is probably one of the most profound, if not the most profound verses in the Bible for how God works in us and then how he expects us to participate with him in that process. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. And last week I I pointed out that the foundation of that verse is the end of that verse, verse 13. Um, Chapter 2, verse 13. Here's verse 12. I'll start in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So last week what we talked about was the verse 13 part of that, which is God is the one who is working in you both to have the desire and to have the power to live in such a way that we are pleasing to him, right? And I talked about how that was the foundation of the verse, and you could see that by the word for. And that is mostly true. Because if you look at that verse, I want you to see two words. It starts with the word, therefore, and then at the beginning of verse 13, for. Now that's interesting. Because I remember when Pastor Burris would always say, anytime you're reading in the Bible and you see the word therefore, what you should do is figure out what it is therefore. So what this is saying is this statement that is found between the words therefore and for are standing upon both what comes before and what comes after. Now, last week we talked about what comes after. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, to give us the desire and the power. So so he's giving us the equipment in order to make it happen with the word for. But we got to look at that word therefore and find out what it's there for. And in order to do that, we need to back up. So let's back up to Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So verses 9 through 11 are saying that verse 12 is standing upon the shoulders of The promise of Christ's glory. Right? And I quote this verse all the time. I say, oh man, at the the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And when Paul wrote that, he wrote that in order for something to stand on its shoulders. Verse 12. But looking at this verse, what does it begin with? Therefore. We're going to end up back in Genesis. So let's back up a little bit more. Uh, Genesis chapter, no, I'm just kidding. We only have to back up to verse 3. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Here's what it says there. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what do we have here? Well, my Bible, it's titling it, Christ's Example of Humility. Another version says, be like Christ. Another says, have the attitude of Christ. Another says, Christ's humility and graciousness. Whatever it is, what do we see here? We see the pattern of Christ's excellence. So Paul is saying, the pattern of Christ's excellence leads to the promise of Christ's glory. Verse, I'm I'm just working through this. I need you to see this. This is hugely important. Verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what we have here is that the verse 12, the verse that we're reading today, which we'll get to in just a moment, is standing on the shoulders of one of the best verses and most powerful verses talking about the name of Jesus Christ, which is standing upon another passage of Scripture, which is one of the best passages you'll find in Scripture, most powerful and beautiful passages about what Jesus Christ did in his humility and obedience going all the way to the cross. So we have the basis of verse 12, the pattern of Christ's excellence, which leads to the power of Christ's glory, and it's based upon the assurance of Christ's power working inside of you. So we've got the pattern, the promise, and the power. That'll preach. Okay, no, like, I got alliteration already. I mean, I could just stop there, right? But this is huge, Verse 12 that we're going to read is not standing on its own. It's standing on verses that you quote all the time. And those verses were written to get to verse 12. Do you think this might be important? Oh, it is. Let's read verse 12, shall we? Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore... My beloved. I love that Paul begins with the word beloved here. Because Paul didn't need to start with the word beloved. He could have said, therefore, my obligation. He could have said, therefore, my responsibility. 
but he doesn't. When Paul thinks of the Philippians, he thinks of his beloved. And that is a huge encouragement to me. When Liz just recently was receiving her credentials, uh, she and I went through this process where, again, we had opportunity to interview with the presbytery. And if that sounds imposing, it shouldn't be, but it is. <laughs> the presbytery is a group of people who are pastors who say, I'm not only going to serve in my church, I'm going to serve the larger church and the leadership of the church. And so you do this interview and there's at least three presbyters who are lined up across the table from you. And they ask you all kinds of questions. If you got something wrong on your test, oh man, they'll ask a question or two about that. But one question that they've always asked, and something that I've never shared with you, but how I have always answered. The question that they've always asked is this, because this is a big part of what the presbytery's responsibilities are, is to make sure that the people who are going into ministry, God has called to that purpose. And so the presbytery asked us, as they have before, so how do you know that you were called by God to ministry? And we answered how I have always answered, and that is this. We are not called to ministry. We are called to praise assembly. And there is a big difference. Because for me, if I was not pastoring this church, I'm convinced that I would not be in ministry. I am called to praise and to pastor praise. And that weighs heavily on me. But I do it not out of obligation or responsibility. I do it because this church and the ministries of this church were a part of my salvation and my discipleship and my growth. So when Paul says, therefore, my beloved, I stop and I listen. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Paul's not there. You ever noticed how much easier it is to obey when the pastor is looking over your shoulder? How much easier it is to not sin when you're sitting in this room during the sermon. Some of you right now are sinning, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> but it's much easier to do that when the pastor's right in front of you. It's a totally different thing when there's nobody around watching. And Paul says to them, and this passage is really about integrity. It's about the fact that sometimes there will be nobody around. And for Paul, what he's trying to get across to them is it's not about behavioral modification. 
This is not about conforming to an external pattern. And when Paul is there and he's watching, then you do what you know Paul wants you to do. Holiness is not about uh, conforming to some external pattern. Okay? If it was, Jesus would have been a big fan of the Pharisees. But Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are a whitewashed tomb. Your outside looks really, really good, but on the inside it's nothing but dead men's bones. Okay? When we talk about holiness, what this passage is about is it starts on the inside. It's not about impressing somebody. It's not about somebody else watching and saying, okay, this is something that I'm going to fit while they're around. He's saying when nobody's around, it's coming from a different place. It's not fitting an external pattern. It's something internal that God has done inside of you that then you work out. That's holiness. It is love that proceeds from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. That's how I would define holiness. But here he says, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And the fear and trembling there, just so you know, comes from, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Knowing that the holy God of the universe is working inside of you should cause you to tremble as you work out your own salvation. And I've heard this Quoted, I've quoted it hundred times. Work out your own salvation. Understanding what Paul is saying here comes down to one word, I think, in particular. The word that is translated as work out. It's a really unique word. And I want you to pay attention to it because it's going to show up again. Work out your own salvation. The word that's translated here as work out is a word that was used by a, a Roman historian, famous Roman historian, as he was talking about a mine in Spain that the Romans were mining gold from. And when he used this word, the idea is here as well, that they went down into it, and they worked out what was inside the mine. They took what was down in the mine and worked it out up to the surface. So what this passage is saying is that God is working inside of you. Boy, that should cause you to tremble. And as he is working inside of you, it's not that we just sit back and go, ah, let go and let God, Jesus take the wheel. That's not it at all. That we are participating in the process. And that as he has worked holiness inside of you, then we are responsible for working that out and to the surface. Okay, this takes work. This takes effort. And if you've not read it before, read 2 Peter chapter 1. It makes it obvious. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 and following. Here's what it says. Verse 3. His divine power has granted us 
all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Do you hear these same things again? We've got the power that it's talking about. We've got the pattern of excellence that it's talking about. We've got the promise of his glory. And all of these things are working in us. And what happens as a result? By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. What an incredible thing that God has done inside of us. Now, you got to read the next verse. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, that sounds like work to me. That means that I am taking what God is doing inside of me and I'm making sure that it's not just something that's happening inside. But I'm taking that and I'm working it out to the surface. Here's what I think this looks like. Because I wish I could give you a process, like a 12-step process. Here's exactly how you work this out. I don't think that's the case. I think it's relational. I think sometimes we try to take what God does relationally and turn it into something he does process. But that's not the, he does it as a relationship, Okay. And so the only way I can show this to you is to give you a picture of it. And the best way I can do that is to kind of open up my own life to you. So right before Christmas, I'd been sensing for some time that I needed to be more a part of serving in my own house. I sensed that sometimes I was letting beloved praise come above beloved family. And that sometimes coming home empty or tired or worn out, that I I would just outsource the parenting of my kids to my wife. And that often, I was not husbanding well. And what's important here is we need to recognize that holiness touches every area of our lives. Okay? So it touches parenting, it touches husbanding, it touches being a wife, it touches all of those areas. And it works on us and changes us. And I've been sensing this. But then right before Christmas, and I couldn't tell you exactly where the desire came from. But right before Christmas... I had this, I want to take over the cooking for dinner. I just want to do it. I want to take that on. I want that to be my response. I have no idea where it came from. Because I would much rather have somebody else cook for me than me do the cooking. But I had this desire in my heart, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to start doing the cooking, and I'll, I'll help be responsible for the kitchen cleaning. And I'm not going to just leave this on Liz. And so I decided... To, make that, to move that direction. I'm just going to be responsible for the cooking, for dinner. Right around that time, right before Christmas, Liz was diagnosed with pneumonia. 
And as part of that, the doctor said, you know, you really should go into the hospital, but because you're young and healthy, here's what we'll do. We will just pound it with antibiotics. You stay in your room and just be there, and we'll let the antibiotics do their work. And so for a week, maybe more than that, right around Christmas, Liz was uh, uh, really um, relegated to our bedroom in a recliner and just there while the antibiotics were doing their work. And I was doing the, kick, the ki uh, kicking the kids, <laughs> kitchen cleaning, doing the cooking, and I was also responsible for apparently DFS. Okay, um, all of those things. I took all of those things on. And... What was amazing about it was I had already started the process before it was necessary. And what's even more amazing is then through that process of a week of carrying all the responsibilities for myself, what did that do inside of me? But increase more a recognition of the weight my wife carries, because I don't know if you know this, but it's not easy to be my wife. Okay? But recognizing, wait a second, this is a lot. And that only further built that desire inside of me to be a better husband and to be a better father. Now, what could have happened when I first had that desire to cook dinner? I could have said, nah, I'm the pastor of praise. That's her job. I could have said no. I could have decided, you know, that's not really my responsibility. And had I done that, what I believe would have happened was that desire would have gotten a little less. And if I would have said, no, I'm not going to do it, I think eventually it would have gone away. What God was working in me to make me a holy husband and a holy father, I had to work out. He was giving me the desire. He was giving me the power. But then I had to make the decision to do something with that. And as a result, he continues to work on me in that way. That's what I think it looks like. Friends, let's back up quick. That should cause you to tremble. Because no other religion is close to this. Every other religion says obey. Some other religions say if you obey, you'll have the promise. Only one faith has a God who says, this is the pattern. Now I will come and work inside of you and give you the desire and give you the power and make it happen. Only one faith. And the God of the universe who is holy and above. We couldn't even dream that up. At our very best, we couldn't come up with that plan. In fact, I think the opposite is true. When we design our own God, we design them so that they're far away and controllable. What we find is that he is very close and uncontrollable. So this is completely outside of what we would come up with. This is the God that we serve, and it should cause us to tremble at the thought of it. He is a God who is holy. And then he says, 
Not only am I going to speak and make you holy, now I'm going to come and I'm going to work inside of you and make what I have declared a reality from the inside out. Don't conform to an external pattern. Be transformed from the inside out. This is a beautiful thing. And boy, it should cause us to tremble. He says, work out what I have worked in. And at this point, boy, I think there's so many things we could talk about with the working out. I think we could talk about the power of Scripture and how the Word of God is necessary for us to work these things out. And I think we could talk about the fact that, boy, we need other people for this process. All of these things fit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. All of those things fit. And there's so much that we could talk about. But I really feel like there's one thing in particular that with absolute humility I need to bring before you. And that is, back to John chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Here's what it says. John 15, verses 1 and 2. I am the true vine. Right? you got to abide in him. You want to push the button on that promise that God will change your very desires and give you the power internally. you got to start by abiding in him. We talked about that last week. we got to plug it in to the vine. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit... He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Stop and think about this picture for a moment. Christ Jesus is the vine, providing that life-giving sap that is inside of us, the power, the desire. But he doesn't stop there. Not only is Christ the vine, The Father is the vine dresser. So even as we're having this influx of sap internally, God is working externally using our circumstances and our situations and our struggles in order to prune us because He loves us. And one of the things that I I don't want to, I feel like this is where I just needed to, this is one thing. I mean, we could could go any, there's so, I mean, I I wish I could go for months, really. But today, I want to focus on this one. How God uses circumstances that maybe are not what we would want. Or situations that are painful. Or struggles that maybe we're not even responsible for, and never lets those situations go to waste. Because how many of the promises of God that I regularly quote are actually about holiness and how God is using our situations in order to bring that about in me? Romans chapter 8, verse 28, I quote this all the time. Here's what it says. And we know... That for those who, God, who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. 
Verse 29, for those he he foreknew, he also predestined, what? To be conformed to the image of his son. What is the good that God is working in us? It is holiness. That's the good we quote it all the time. It's talking about the fact that God is making us holy. And what is he using? Back up to verse 18 and it'll tell you, read the whole passage. He is using our suffering and our struggles. And the thing that I love about this is that word work. That word work is the same work that we see in Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. That he is bringing to the surface using our circumstances. That holiness that he is working inside of us. He is making it and helping us in that process through pruning, through difficulty, through situations we don't enjoy. He is using those things and he never lets them go to waste. And I'm not saying I know where they come from. Sometimes it may be the discipline of God. It's biblical, right? Sometimes it's because of the evil of others. And sometimes it's just because we're in a fallen world that is broken, But it does not matter. Wherever it comes from, God will not let it go to waste. He will take that and use it in order to bring about holiness inside of you. And some of us, some of us, some of us, I think, struggle with this because we do not understand what God is doing long term. Just... Recently, one of my two dogs died. And I was pretty stoked because that was the worst of the two dogs, okay? I'm just saying. We had two sisters, same litter. One was a holy dog. Her name was Khaki. And one, no matter how much I trained that dog, that dog wouldn't train. Her name was Corduroy, Khaki and Corduroy. So when we moved out to the country and got a nicer house, we decided those dogs are going to be outside dogs. Khaki and Corduroy made the great transition to being outside dogs. But when I say they're outside dogs, we actually let them in the garage and had a little doggy door on the side, and they can go out and come in, go out and come in. But as a result of that, my garage was always filthy, filthy. Hair everywhere, smell of dogs, because corduroy, okay? So <laughs> it's true, and leaves would blow in, and I just, I would clean it, and within a week, it would be messy again. So when my dog died, I didn't tell the family, but I was praising the Lord, okay? Okay, so first thing I did, we brought Khaki inside. She was always the cleaner of the two dogs, right? And then the second thing I did, I cleaned that garage. Got rid of their bed that I had made for them that was disgusting. Got all the hair out of it. Got all the leaves out of it. I mean, I cleaned every nook and cranny of that garage. I could have eaten off of the floor, but it's a terrible idea. And so I didn't. (laughs) Then about two weeks ago, we pull into the garage. Clara opens up her door. And out rolls a water bottle. Lands on the floor. And I look at that water bottle and I'm like, 
she really picked that up. So I didn't. Day later, I pull in and see that bottle there. I really should pick that up. And I didn't. And I thought sooner or later, that thing's going to roll right under the tire of this van or this truck, and it's going to explode. And there's going to be water everywhere. But I didn't pick it up. Eventually, it rolled across the garage and was sitting right in front of where my truck pulls in, but it was between the wheelbase. So I'm like, I'm still good. At any point, it would have taken me three seconds to pick this bottle up, but I didn't do it. So I just pulled in. Friday morning, bringing the kids out, pulling the van out, and I look over and I see this water bottle had gotten wedged on Thursday night underneath the garage door. The door had closed on it. And I thought, this is an opportunity for learning for the children. And so I said, hey kids, I want to show you something. And I pointed out the bottle and I said, here is why you need to be careful around that garage door, because we don't want you to be that bottle. And I got a little closer to it, and I saw that there was still water in it. Here's the bottle, right up here. It's stuck there, but it's holding on for all it's worth. You look at it from the inside, and I think it even looks better. Here's the inside. That little bottle is like pushing against the door. It's doing all it's got. It's holding out. And I'm looking at this bottle up close, and I, I thought, boy, I think there are some people at Praise Assembly who feel just like that water bottle. That situations and circumstances are pushing against them, and they're feeling a little crushed. And I mean, really, they would say, ah, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. That's me. 2 Corinthians 4, 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. That's good stuff. And some people in here, though, feel just like that. Here's what you need to know about this. This verse is leading towards... And building towards another one of those promises that I quote all the time. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Your struggles, your situation, whatever it might be, can I say God will not allow that to be wasted. Okay? He will not allow it to be wasted. But here's the thing about it. What does verse 16 say? So do not lose heart. And I say this with absolute humility. I really do. Because my struggles are not your struggles. My situation is nothing probably compared to your situation. 
But God is not wasting your situation. So please, don't you waste it. I don't know what it looks like for you. But don't lose heart. Don't give up what God is doing inside of you. But through that struggle and through that situation, work out what God is doing inside of you. Take that struggle and make it something more. Take that situation and allow God to do... Either way, we're getting caught. Read John chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. I mean, either way, there's cutting. (laughs) Either you're getting cut and thrown away, or you're getting pruned. Either way, that hurts. Either way, there's pain. Either way, there's a struggle. But only one way is it productive. So allow God to prune you. Not just be the power inside of you, but to be the vine dresser who allows and cuts and does what is necessary to bring about fruit, to work out what he has worked in. That is the picture of holiness. And no situation will he allow to be wasted. You know that word preparing right there? The exact same word, Philippians 2.12, work out. Same word, Romans 8.28, works all things together. He is bringing out what is inside of you. And he will continue to as you keep your faith in him and allow love to issue from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. This is the picture of holiness. I I would ask that you would stand with me today. Because I want us to respond. Because some of us do feel just like this poor little water bottle. And it's still holding on. But some of us feel pressed and pushed and crushed. But God will not allow it to go to waste. So do not lose heart. Hold on. Because he is bringing about holiness inside of you. More and more sanctification. That is what he is doing inside of you. And as we praise him, here's something I need you to know. You did not get when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You did not get a budget savior. You did not get the generic off-brand savior. You didn't get a half a savior. I mean, even if he was just a savior who delivered us from the penalties of sin, I would be in awe of him. But that's not all he's done, friends. He not only saved you from hell, he is saving you from sin. He not only delivered you from the penalty of sin, he broke the back of the power of sin. And he did it in that order. That order is hugely important. Forgiven sin, broken back of sin. If it were the other way around, boy, that's not quite a gospel. 
break the back of sin, and then you'll be forgiven. Totally different gospel. That is not the gospel. Forgiven sin, break the back of sin in that order. He's not just a God and a Savior who went to save you from hell. He sent and came in order to save you from your sin. He didn't just come to get you into heaven. That's why he died. He died to get you into heaven. But he lives in order to get heaven into you. And that, my friends, deserves some praise this morning.